Are you ready to up-level your performance, become a better sales coach, and grow revenue? Are you ready to be ready? Then ready, set, sell. I'm Hannah, a B2B sales enthusiast and sales consultant, advocating for sales to be a little more human. And I'm Tony from MindTickle, where I'm a sales leader and coach. And you're listening to Ready, Set, Sell, a podcast dedicated to helping revenue and sales professionals like you adopt a sales readiness approach to ensure your team is always ready to win. In each episode, we share smart insights, tangible advice, and actionable tips that can be applied directly to the work you do every day to drive organizational growth. Let's dive into the episode. Strong communication skills will serve you well in any industry, but they're especially crucial in the sales world. Well, today, companies are moving away from the traditional corporate structure of working in silos to adopt a more streamlined approach. Exactly. And establishing synergy among teams is really essential if you're hoping to optimize sales outcomes and meet or exceed all of your sales targets. Well, Tony, today's guest is here to share his tips on finding cross-functional alignment to achieve excellence in enterprise sales. And our guest is Reed Oliver, the Enterprise Sales Director at Splunk. Splunk is a platform that helps companies aggregate, investigate, and analyze their data in a cohesive way. As a sales director, Reed has found a few different leadership strategies that work for him and his team. He's here today to let us in on all his secrets. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Reed, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, um, Tony and I usually start in, in a similar way by being a little bit nosy. So, so what I'd love to do is um, get you to share a little bit about your career background so far, but, but more specifically, the points that really, I guess, made a difference to, to contributing to where you are today. Sure. So I have been in software sales seven years now. So certainly not a, a grizzled veteran, still plenty to learn. Uh, during that time, I've been at two companies. My first foray into sales was with a, a Series C company called Vidyard. We were doing B2B video hosting, data analytics, uh, internal communications. And so I started there um, about as entry level as you can get as an SDR, managing inbound leads. Um, had a phenomenal manager at the time. And also took advantage of a good growth curve. So I was able to move into a BDR role, uh, an SME account executive. And then my final role there was uh, with our enterprise team. So selling into some of the biggest customers that we had at the time. Um, and so I guess to your point around helping get to where I am today, that's I would recommend joining a startup to anybody earlier and early on in their sales career. You just get so much good exposure and experience um, to a, wearing a lot of hats, I suppose. Since then, I decided to move over to where I'm at now, which is Splunk. So I wanted to get to more large enterprise, kind of complex platform selling, much larger deal sizes. Um, and again, really fortunate around timing and leadership and, and growth. I started in our, um, our commercial RSM or AE role. And today I've gone through a few different roles at Splunk, but today I'm managing our uh, strategic Canadian business. So working with the largest customers and, and companies in Canada. Excellent. I actually know Vidyard very well because I was a customer for a while. Sounds like you've done a great job climbing the ladder, but w what initially drew you to sales in the first place? Uh, a few a few factors. I think one of the biggest would be my, my parents, and in particular, my mom. She was always involved in our school and kind of thinking about career and what would set us up for success. And part of that, we did some career kind of testing, my brother and I. And one thing that always shone was that 
I always tended to score higher on EQ than IQ. So I wasn't necessarily going to try to go for a, a surgeon or a, an investment banker, but <laughs> pairing that with kind of playing a lot of sports, being competitive, <laughs> um, maybe even just, just a general business interest. I thought that sales made, made a ton of sense. And so uh, that ended up where I ended up being where I put a lot of my focus. Splunk's an awesome company. I've actually been working with a few people at Splunk oh, over the last year. So I'm surprised that we have, I mean, to be fair, there's a few thousand people there, but um, I, I would be interested to know. We are large. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know a bit more about um, how you landed your role at Splunk. Yeah, so it was, I guess, like a lot of roles these days, just networking. Um, I was, as I mentioned, trying to uh, figure out where my next step would be from Vidyard. I knew that cybersecurity and big data was a huge market still continues to be. And so I looked at who was a leader in that space. And Splunk was certainly top of the list, continues to be, but at the time was really the key player. And so I ended up just looking up where I had connections, any any familiar folks and reaching out and having a couple of coffee chats with uh, both individual sellers and one of the managers. And I ended up getting put into the interview process through that. Well, it sounds like you've kind of, like we said earlier, you've kind of been climbing the ladder. You've started as a BDR, you made your way to commercial accounts and now enterprise. What would you say you like most about enterprise sales and what you're doing right now? Um, I think I think the best part about enterprise sales is just the the strategy behind it and the relationships that you build and the impact that you're having uh, on a customer account. I mean, enterprise deals are generally quite complex. They're, you need change agents across a company, you need multiple layers of, of champions across technical and, and key stakeholders. And so that's certainly something that's probably more absent in the more traditional kind of transactional selling model. I think it's good to have experience of both, but the, yeah, the former certainly appeals to me from an enterprise perspective and just getting the, the chance to be a part of much larger deal cycles and impact from a revenue perspective to the company that you're at is, is fun. Yeah, the checks are always bigger too, which helps. So that's a good thing. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> when it goes right, that is. Correct. But Reed, I'm I'm going to I'm going to try and remember what one of the strap lines are. Is it data the the data to anywhere? Is it something like that, right? For Splunk. Data to everything. It is anywhere everything. There we yeah. go. I was close, but um I'd love you to share um, an overview for those listening who don't know, an overview of what Splunk specializes in. Cuz I saw I saw some material beneath the surface and was like this is really cool, but I'd love you to to help us understand how you help businesses grow and achieve their outcomes. Sure. So, so an analogy that I heard early on, and we've certainly grown from this, but we used to be coined as kind of a Google for IT. So we were the de facto platform to help IT professionals, security professionals dig through massive amounts of data and get to their answers quickly. And from there, we've certainly developed into still being that uh, critical query uh, and, and big data ingest platform, but we're now turning also into visualizations, alerting, um, orchestration and automation, and obviously applying layers of ML uh, across these just massive complex data sets. And so ultimately, we're helping security professionals stay and ensure that their products and their companies are secure and identifying when issues happen, where they are really quickly. And on the IT and DevOps side, we're helping folks ensure that their websites are, are up and running. They were ensuring that if bugs and, and issues are happening, they're finding root cause very, very quickly. And oftentimes doing that through a predictive model rather than a reactive. So it's, it sounds like it's a real sophisticated process there that you guys have to go through and 
Uh, so I'm curious about the different teams that you have to engage with on the sales side. So, you know, as you're going through your process, what are the different teams that you typically engage with? How do you do that? And, you know, how do you make sure that everything is working cohesively together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not uncommon for our, our win notes on big deals to span multiple pages and, and you have to scroll through all the different teams and, and specialists that we have because it certainly takes a village. Um, <laughs> I would say core to our kind of go-to-market function, we obviously have our direct sellers. We work very closely with our, our sales or solution engineers. So they are the, the technical prowess and strategy behind a lot of the projects we're working on. Uh, we then have specialist teams that are verticalized. So we have financial services, we have oil and gas, energy, we have e-commerce. And so we'll oftentimes pull in those folks to get multiple, uh, I guess, layers into a conversation and ensure that we're helping build out a broader business case. Um, and then I would say, yeah, marketing and partners are huge components too. We work really closely with Google and AWS in particular. And on the marketing side, we're always trying to do different events and, and workshops and things to keep our customers engaged and, and successful. You know, Hannah, at this point in the pandemic, I think it's safe to say we're all a little bit zoomed out. Oof, I couldn't agree more. That's why I love Reed's approach of ensuring teams are communicating effectively without booking too many unnecessary meetings and touch bases. Exactly. I can't stand having too many unnecessary meetings. But I think cross-functional collaboration is all about striking the right balance between working effectively as an individual and keeping communication channels open with your entire team. But I also love what Reed said about celebrating small wins to stay motivated. I think celebrating together as a team is a, is a really great way to strengthen those bonds and form authentic connections. Absolutely, and if uh, celebrating those wins together includes an, uh, a cocktail or two, then we'll do what we have to do. But <laughs> I, I think finding cross-functional alignment is more important than ever today as the landscape becomes increasingly competitive. So going the extra mile is always worth it. Agreed. So let's hear what Reed had to say next about achieving excellence in enterprise sales. So with all that in mind, do you have a specific focus for this year or you know, is there a specific goal that you're targeting or how, how, how are you thinking about the, you know, this upcoming fiscal year? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess if my manager was listening, he'd want to hear my goal is to hit our hit our team number and, <laughs> and hit our number for the year, yeah. which it, it, it certainly is a goal. But I, th I think the way that I look at it, and I'm I'm obviously newer on leadership, but I try to think about it in a bit of a framework or, or kind of trickle down effect. So our end goal being uh, hitting our number. What are some of the other kind of leading indicator goals that we need in order to get there? And so a big one for me is ensuring that my team. I understand what their goals are for the year. Some of them are going to be purely numbers and financially based. Others want to get into leadership or get exposure to other teams. Um, and so making sure that I have a full understanding of what success means to them and then building that up into how we get there as a team to hit our number. That's probably my like overarching goal for the year. Um, Reed, just, just kind of expanding on some of the, um, some of what you were saying regarding enterprise selling and, 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 one of the key differences you mentioned is the the, strate the the inherent strategic nature of enterprise selling, right? And also the the, the multiple stakeholders that are typically involved. Um, what's 
bringing all that together, what's some of the kind of recent sales wins, of course, those that you're allowed to talk about, um, are you proud of? And, and what do you think are some of the factors that resulted in these wins? So think of a salesperson listening who's thinking, what do I need to do on my next call mm-hmm. to be like Reed? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, a good question. I, a good, I guess a good win that we had that I could share prior to the holiday break, we were working with uh, another data SaaS uh, company, actually local here in Canada. Um, so really our sweet spot uh, at Splunk in terms of they, they put a significant premium on security and ensuring uptime. And so the why it was unique is it wasn't the largest from a dollar perspective, but from a complexity standpoint, it was pretty significant. So they have contracts in the US where they require uh, FedRAMP capabilities. We had unique compliance and legal co- components to it. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of and, and what's important on the enterprise side is it was a nine to 10 month sales cycle, but we did a really good job at the beginning, building a tr- strong relationship with multiple stakeholders. So leaders at the business, technical owners, and we tried to have some of the tough conversations early on to get those out of the way. So we identified, we knew it was competitive. We knew we were going to go to an RFQ. So we tried to get ahead of where are we strong, where are we may be weaker, or at least what are our competitors going to be leaning on? Uh, what does our license model look like? What does cost even look like? And that way, when we got towards the end, we had had a lot of those challenging conversations or the ones that maybe come with a little bit more uh, uh, back and forth. And, and it ended up being a little uh, much smoother. There were still negotiations to be had, but we had built a lot of rapport early on that we could have those conversations and ultimately partner. I think it's a big reason we won the deal. So it sounds like you did a, a great job of, like you said, establishing those relationships and touching back a little bit to something you said earlier with you know, getting to understand a little bit more about your internal teams, right? How, what their goals are, what sort of things they're looking to do. Um, as you've collected all this data, mm-hmm. have you found that there are certain challenges that are, you know, the bigger ones that you want to make sure that you can work through with your team and either, you know, maybe well, as your personal role or as a team role, are there any challenges that stand out to you right now? Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges that we come up against is just, building natural urgency. I always try to get my team away from just selling to the end of a quarter or picking our own timeline or deadline, because that's often when I find deals slip and forecasts get impacted. And I also know that as sellers, we can't make our own agenda. We have to work with our customer and understand what are what's a compelling event for them to get a deal done. Um, and it's much easier said than done. It's it's sometimes you have to do it around product launches or or sprints that an engineering team is running. Sometimes it's around other major projects that don't even affect you, but they open up resources for your project. And so, I try to get my team to do a far better job of just leaning in and identifying up front, hey, we want to work with your team's timelines, but we want to pick a date and work backwards from it. And and so that inherently is a, is a challenge, but it's also something we're trying to get better at because if, if we can build natural urgency, then we ultimately have a, a time and a date that we're working towards. And we also have some a bit more leverage when it comes to kind of final contract negotiations. We just... I guess thinking, I know you were speaking just briefly about the, the challenges that you're working through with your team and urgency in deals is it's just a topic. It's a hot topic, right? It, it always has been. Um, but I'm just thinking about the, 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 the wider ecosystem that you work with at Splunk. And um, you, you've gone, as you said, you kind of start, you've been there a few years now. So you went as a, from an, an RSM to, to a sales director. 
what were if if you can think of, of some of the key differences as you made that transition um what what was what are some of the things that stand out with how you've had to work with the team as an rsm compared to how you need to work with the wider ecosystem mm-hmm. as, a, as a sales director uh, as an rsm your one of your biggest focus areas need to be ensuring that you're working collaboratively with your your sales engineer your solution engineer they are just especially with a complex sale like Splunk, they're so critical. And I think just like sellers, you get a wide range of personalities when it comes to SEs. And so I always harp on my team and ensured that when I was an RSM, I was going out of my way to make their lives easier. So I didn't just expect them to do meeting follow-ups. I didn't, uh, if it was a technical document that I could Google just as easy as they could, I'd go out of my way to to do some of those tasks so that when I really needed to lean on them, we needed to maybe go after hours and really lean in on a project, they were willing to do that. And I find that in some cases, if, if a rep is, is, takes the easy way out or goes lazier, then they'll get the same in return from their SE. And so I, I made a very conscious effort to try to do the best I could to make working with me as easy and, and enjoyable as possible. And I now try to harp and ensure my team is doing that so that when we have a need and when we need help, folks are willing and open to come and work with us. Digging into that a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how do you set up alignment with your teams? Do you see it as, hey, this is just something I need to do one time or is this part of you? It sounds like it's part of your overall methodology with your teams. But tell us a little bit more about mm-hmm. that. No, alignment is certainly always fluid and, and continuous and, and it changes depending on the project and, and customer that we're working with. Um, but I always try to have just consistent communication and alignment across all of our, I would say, cross-functional teams. And so um, I am cautious of having too too many meetings. I try not to have just meetings for the sake of them. So if we have a recurring, I don't want to have a recurring with uh, marketing, SE, AE, leadership and have uh, folks joining all. I try to be as efficient as possible. But um, it, I, I, I count on my team to be ensuring that we just have that active alignment and that folks have roles and responsibilities from the early stages. So when we're doing our first half kickoffs, for instance, our QBRs, if we have accountability early on around, hey, here's where I need your help, here's what I need, here's what that looks like from the beginning, that way that folks, those folks know that they're going to be counted on and that generally breeds a good, healthy level of alignment and responsibility. I was going to say, Reed, I'm a big like believer in motivation and like positive thinking and, and affirmations and things like that. And I think you need a lot of that in sales, right? There's mm-hmm. there's just that that odd moment where something needs to help, right? All the universal powers. But but what does like motivation look like for you? How, how do you how do you connect with and, and motivate the people around you, particularly in your team? Yeah, that's a good point, Hannah. I think one thing I learned early on, and I actually was not great at, was managing the highs and lows of sales. Right? Yeah. A, a mentor of mine. Talked about just not not getting too high and, and not getting too low either and that was a learning curve for me i always i was always a, a bit of an emotional seller and i think um you're right you, you need you need to have positivity in, in the good times and the bad and i think for my team uh we always try to celebrate the wins even if they're smaller wins so maybe we haven't yet closed the deal but we got through a huge milestone or um Maybe we broke into just booking meetings with an account that we knew is high priority, but hadn't had much work with before. And um, celebrating those wins means generally I try to get my team as part of our team meetings to, to share and to open up about what's working for them. I try to ensure that we're, while it's a very, it could be an individual sport at times, we try to make it like an overall 
um, open landscape where people can celebrate and also where people can identify, Hey, I'm having challenges here. What have you, what have you folks tried to, to do something different? And that typically, it typically yields a, a, an environment of positivity and, and motivation. Also, the sales folks are generally pretty competitive. So if you have the, the top performer on your team continuously sharing wins, it, it tends to, to bubble up to other folks. It really does. I love it. <laughs> well, you said you were a hockey player earlier, so I think you got to share the wins, right? That's all part of the team mentality with hockey. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, I, we were talking about hockey earlier offline before, but uh, everybody consistently says about hockey players is they go above and beyond, mm-hmm. right? They, they're not like the guys that go down with the fake injury, like in other sports that shall remain un- unmentioned. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's, there's always going above and beyond, right? So... How, how, do you, how would you relate that to sales? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd say there's two components of that that I've noticed. Is what, number one is just if you're willing to put in the work and work harder than the other 90%, you're going to be largely successful in sales. It's not the only telltale sign, but I have found for the most part, if you're if you really are hungry and you're passionate about what you're selling and you're interested in what your customer's goals are, that's just a way to stand out in itself. Um, beyond that, I think the reps, once you have, once you have the work factor and you're focused and, and, and aligned, I think one of the big things I see is just the level of preparation. So top, top sellers, they, they, there's this framework. It's like the principal agent framework where you want more, more of your team to think like a principal, think like an owner. And I think the best reps, they treat their territories as they own that territory, right? They are the GM or the CEO or whatever you want to call it of that territory. And that means slowing down yep. every single action is, is value add. And even putting themselves in the, in the framework of their customers for, for the largest strategic deals, thinking like they're a part of that team. Where does our solution have to fit? What, cha- what challenges does it have to meet? That's like... The, the top, top sellers that I see, they're, they're willing to go out of their way and above and beyond to, to really think like an owner. And I think that's a huge component of just being successful in sales. So, so um, Reed, you've mentioned quite a few things about what, what you can do to, I guess, improve your ability to deliver sales uh, outcomes for your business and your customers. So you mentioned things about collaborating well internally. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned about acting like an owner. Um and also kind of finding positivity during the highs and the lows. But what about some of the recommendations that you'd make to somebody who's getting started in their sales career? And you've already mentioned go work at a startup, so you can't say that <laughs> one again. <laughs> sure, that, that is a big one, I will say. I was going to default back to that, but I'll, I'll follow your guidance, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, think, I think finding a space that you're passionate about, I think you really have to care about what you're selling, you're going to be doing it every single day and, and it can be a grind. And so if you don't necessarily believe in the space or you're not, not really genuinely interested in it, I think that, that show, show that shines on, on calls. Right. And, and, and in today's world, especially just, it, you have to be much more of an advocate and working with your customer and uh, customers just have so many different options. And so I think if you're going to yeah, be successful, you've got it, you got to care about what you're going into. Um, and then also just picking picking strong strong products in markets with lots of upside. So um, I've always looked. The reason I went to Splunk was I looked at the size of the data, the data market, data monitoring, and cyber, and I just felt that there's there's so much 
space there for opportunity and so much growth opportunity. So finding markets with plenty of upside and, and tailwinds, I think, is important. I think people often overlook that. It's a really good point. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, when you work in startups and so, you know, where you are at Splunk now, right, it's, it's evolving very quickly, right? I'm sure the organization is changing, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how do you go about refining your skill set, right? Making sure that you're where you need to be and, uh, not only for your personal growth, but just for the organization. So how do you, how do you approach Mm -hmm. that? Uh, one of the first things I do is I just try to identify people who are smarter than me or, or have been more successful than I have. And I just ask them for 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 guidance and, and to spend time. I try to be as respectful as I can about it and I come prepared, but uh, I don't really shy away from it. Yeah, if I've, whether it's at Splunk, where I, that was one of the first things I did, even in the first two years, and I continue to have mentors that I try to keep up with is just learning, picking their brain, kind of being a sponge, if you will, to, to pick up different tactics that they're doing and kind of make them my own. Um, so that's a huge component of it. And then I also, um, I, I'm fairly active. I use tools like Twitter and, and, and read a number of different blogs and such just from other sales leaders and go to market groups and just try to make sure that I'm staying up to date and relevant on a lot of the trends. Because I find once once something is reaching kind of LinkedIn blog escape velocity, it's already being used by a lot of sellers. And so trying to trying to remain kind of consistent and 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 sharp on on new ways and strategies folks are using is typically yielded good results so far. Well, you've you've kind of defined my whole career as I'm smart enough to know I'm not the smartest person in the room. So I think that uh, <laughs> we're very much on the same page with that. <laughs> sure. It takes a while to be comfortable with that and realize the benefits of that, actually. So no, no, this is definitely a valid point. Um, we, we've spoken quite a bit, like, well, indirectly about uh, communication when it comes to working with internal teams, when it comes to working with your um, your sales team. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the, the tips you have for ensuring like smooth and effective communication because there's a lot of ways to communicate now mm-hmm. like informal formal like tell me more about how you, you some of the tips that you share or you you kind of hold quite dearly when it comes to comms yeah no uh, no shortage of communication channels these days um i i try to implore i really like the concept of, of radical candor so the the view of of being openly transparent and also very direct i find that I, that's the feedback that i i always hope to get and i i try to uh, embody that in my communications with, with my team as well. And so I find that it's just oftentimes it's best to be very, very open and honest about performance. And if that's to the negative side, obviously it's coming up with constructive ways to, to improve on what we're doing. And if it's to the positive, ensuring how do we replicate that and, and make it more of a playbook going forward. Um, I guess to your point around channels, Hannah, I find that still just picking up the phone and, and calling is one of the best ways to to really uh, have a, a conversation, particularly if it's more of a, of a difficult one. I think Slack and email can sometimes be misconstrued. And so there's a time and a place for, for it. Um, I also have found that shift has been really different moving from a, what I was in a full office, in-office setting to being fully virtual the last two years. It's been even more uh, challenging at times to, to really... Um, communicate and, and connect with folks. I find there's always a little bit of that barrier on on Zoom calls and, and such. And so again, kind of going out of your way to even meet for a coffee or get, get in person if you can. But if not, yeah, phone calls generally the best. Yeah, but read emoji or no emoji. <laughs> I'm I'm not much of an emoji guy. I'm a g i am like gifts. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> gift fan. <laughs> uh, actually thinking about the challenges you were just mentioning, um, can you think of a time when there was really a, a communication breakdown that had a direct impact on something you were doing. 
Um, can you think of anything and, and how did you solve it? We, I mean, we, there's communication breakdowns. Yeah, they, they happen all the time. I mean, I'm even thinking how we work with customers. Sometimes emails can be misconstrued or, or just missed in general. And so the best way, to, the best way from my view to solve it is, is if we feel like we're going down a path of maybe there's, there's a disconnect, it's just kind of hitting a pause. And it's like, maybe it's me putting my own hand up and saying, look, I, I think I'm missing the point, or maybe I was, I was unclear. Can, can we do a reset? Can we do like a hard reset on this and just kind of try to figure out, is there a better path forward? And I think identifying that really early on and not trying to, uh, pretend like we know everything or, or go down a path that's maybe uh, not the right one. It's probably the best way to kind of yeah, nip it in the bud when you when you have risk of a miscommunication. I'm, I'm just thinking about uh, something you mentioned earlier, Reed. You said you're you're relatively new into leadership. See, I think I was doing a, a little bit of nosing around on your, on your LinkedIn and it's about a year, right? Since you transitioned into a sales director role. Yes. Yeah, I'm starting. We just kicked out. We just our fiscal mm-hmm. end at the end of January. So this is the start of my, my second year. So what are you hoping to improve? You've had a year of learning, probably some shocks <laughs> along the way, but how are you hoping to uplevel your, your leadership skills for 2022? <laughs> uh, there, there's a long list. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, actively, I'm actively trying to find ways to, to get better. And I'm, I'm pretty open with my team in that too. It's, I'm in a unique situation where um, I, I joke that some of my team members, some of the sellers they've been selling since I was in high school. So they're, they're all far more, more senior than I. And so one thing I try to do is just take the approach of not, not knowing everything and being very open about it. Hey, here, here's where I can help. And here's where I, where I want to get feedback. Um, and something I think I can do more of is, uh, press for more critical feedback. I find sometimes, uh, asking for feedback can be really difficult. And sometimes folks, particularly if you have a good relationship, we'll take the easy way out. They'll say, yeah, yeah, no, you're, do- you're doing a great job. Thanks so much. Um, but that's rarely ever the case. And so one thing I'm going to try to do is there always are going to be areas that I can improve with, with on a one-on-one basis, but also how I manage my teams. And I'm not going to let them off the hook when I do ask for feedback because it's really the only way that I think I'll, I'll improve. So that's, that's a main focus of mine, among among others, but that one's top of mind. Well, you said you're about two weeks into your new fiscal, right? So mm-hmm. what's what's next for you and for Splunk uh, over the next year? So Splunk, Splunk's going through a, a pretty big transformation. I think we're one of the largest companies, uh, aside from uh, Adobe and, and Autodesk, to move from a more traditional on-prem uh, software to being fully cloud-native in SaaS. And so that's come with some growing pains over the past two years, but it's also been really unique to be a part of. Um, and so what's next for us is just really ensuring that we're, we're laser tight on just what being a SaaS company means. What are the critical metrics? I, I mentioned it touched on sort of how do, we, how do we have organic growth? How do we land new deals? How do we ensure we have retention uh, and renewal? So that's a huge focus area of us is just kind of best practice around being a SaaS company. Um, and for my team, it's a matter of ensuring that we are educating our customers about those changes and ensuring that they're aware of all the different things that Splunk can do because we're almost at, it's a blessing and a curse. We, we're, we're very good at a lot of different areas, but we oftentimes will get stuck in one segment. So kind of jumping over to, to other buying centers, whether you're in security and moving into IT, it can be challenging because folks that own Splunk, they tend to, to hug it and keep it very close. Um, and so having, having the opportunity to kind of build and grow and expand teams can be, can be tricky, but it's needed if we're going to kind of continue growing at the rate we are. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Reed, this has been fantastic, but we're not done with you yet. 
we have just a couple more questions that we're going to do on our rapid fire round. Sure. So Hannah's going to kick it off, but we're going to go through these, give your real quick answers. First thing that comes to mind, and we're just going to shoot them at you real fast. All right, let's get into it. So okay. what is your sales philosophy in just three words? Uh, <laughs> always be interested. Mm, I like it. What's the best advice you've been given in your career so far? Find good mentors. I like that one. Uh, your top productivity hack. Uh, own your calendar. I'm a huge fan of blocking anything and everything I need to get done throughout my days. Very smart. Uh, top prediction for the sales industry in the upcoming year. Uh, Product-led growth is going to continue to, to flourish. So reps need to find ways to be uh, effective and, and change their models in some ways. Um, what's one thing that you believe is revolutionizing the sales industry? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably just the amount, number of tools and resources and, and in some cases cutting through the noise of, of what are effective tools and, and how do reps work as efficiently as possible. I think the, the efficiency and rep productivity metric is just going to become more and more important, particularly for teams when they're justifying raising new rounds or where they're allocating dollars for, for headcount. And um, it's a huge component and, and probably will be more and more. I think I'm with you on that one. Um, but on rep productivity, uh, if you could share just one piece of advice to, to all salespeople, what would it be? Uh, always be authentic and transparent. So, so be as open as you possibly can and, and try to be somebody that a buyer likes to, to do business with. I think there's so many tools and options out there. People still like doing, doing business with folks that they find uh, enjoyable and that they, that they get value from. There are a lot of voices out there nowadays with blogs and posts and everything. So where do you go to for your best sales industry news? Uh, I'm a huge Twitter fan, so I, I try to use Twitter and, and be selective of my followers, but but also, yeah, make sure that I'm staying up to speed. Uh, I like a few different podcasts, and then I'm also a... Uh, uh, I try to read I try to read more books. I, I'm, I'm sometimes a victim of that, but there's a lot of good books out there. Okay, so are leaders made or born? Mm, both. I don't know if that's I'm allowed to say that as a rapid fire. I choose both, but I don't. I don't think one one versus the other. No, you're allowed. You can. You can. You're allowed. Well, this is our last question, and I'm actually a big movie fan myself, so we're going to tie this to movie quotes. But would you go with always be closing or sell me this pen? Always be closing. I knew you were going to say that because you gave us a couple of always already. So I had a good feeling <laughs> yeah. that you were going to go that direction. <laughs> uh, but Reed, this this fantastic time today. Really appreciate you joining us on Ready, Set, Sell. And we wish you all the best of luck at Splunk. And thanks again for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hannah and Tony. Really appreciate it. You know, I thought it was really interesting with all the, the different roles that Reed has had over the years because that's pretty consistent with what I've seen from a number of top sales leaders is they've, they've done different things and they have unique perspectives because they've really been able to see things from different lenses within the sales, uh, the sales verticals. So I think that really gives him a great way of being able to really visualize 
from a different perspective how he can attack and and plan different things out because he has such a unique view from different things that he's done throughout the years. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it, it even goes beyond having experience at various levels in sales. I think um, the, the sales leaders that really kind of exceed expectations are the ones who have actually had the good the bad and the ugly parts of sales and the experience. So they've had incredible years. Maybe they've had a quarter where they haven't done so great. And the reason why I mention that is because they are, they're able to really think about, you know, how will my team be feeling right now when they're doing great? Or how, how, how will my team be feeling when right in this instance when they haven't hit target? And I think when you've got leaders who have gone through uh, various different uh, roles in sales full stop, they, they're much more relatable. They, they can relate to the, situa- the different situations that salespeople find themselves in. Yeah, and I think it really gives you uh, a lot of credibility as you start rising the chain. Uh, I mean, it, I look at my background. I, my first job out of college, I was selling sneakers. You know, I was the, the top sneaker salesman in northern New Jersey, which got yes. me, <laughs> brought me to where I am today, I suppose. But uh, it really gives you an idea of how to think about things differently because even though I was selling sneakers, I learned a lot about how to deal with people and different dynamics with the people I was working with. So, you know, you use, I think every job that you go through or every stop on your, on your way really helps define who you're going to be and how you're going to work with, uh, you know, with colleagues within different structures and, and really helps, helps you on your journey in the best way possible. Yeah, I love the sneakers. This is great. Why, why didn't I know this? <laughs> when you think about um, the roles that Oliver's had and you think about uh, the importance of coaching now, right, as a sales leader, how can you coach if you haven't done the job yourself? Or how can you really effectively coach if you, you just haven't been in the trenches? The multiple roles that you play and the experience that you gather from that make you, I just think it sets you up to be a much stronger coach, which in my opinion is a key part of being in sales leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that all adds to credibility, right? And we've all had managers over the years that, you know, get put into positions of leadership and they have not done the job that they're asking you to do. And they don't really get the credibility because they haven't done it. And they're asking you to do things that either they don't know how to do or just haven't had any experience doing. So I I, I totally agree. I think it's very important to have someone in that role that can not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Reed's clear and articulate understanding of his role and team really impressed me. I know, right? Like, it became quite clear early on in the interview why he's moved up the ladder to a leadership position. I know. He he really had some great suggestions to share about finding cross-functional alignment internally, managing teams effectively, and really going above and beyond to achieve excellence in sales. I think one point he made that really stood out to me was the value of finding someone who's more successful or experienced than you and learning as much as you can from them. <laughs> you know what they say, um, it's funny, I use this too. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I think Reed also emphasized the importance of following your passion in sales. You know, I couldn't agree more with this point because if you're not passionate about what you're selling, people will be able to sense that and you'll see it reflected in your results. It's true. And finally, Reed's comments about accountability and responsibility were so on point. Getting clear on everyone's roles and responsibilities from the very beginning will help set everyone up for success and stronger alignment overall. You know, absolutely. I think all in all, I learned a lot from today's episode and we hope that you did too. 
So thanks again to our guest, Reed, for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ready, Set, Sell. We hope you took away some valuable lessons and insights that inspire you to reevaluate your approach to sales readiness. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show when you get a minute. And stay tuned for the next episode of Ready, Set, Sell.